Hello and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we speak to private equity and venture capital practitioners about their deals and deal making. I'm your guest host, Nikita Satiraju, senior reporter at The Deal. We have with us today Tom Amster, global head of financial sponsors at Macquarie Capital. A career banker, Tom previously worked as the head of San Francisco Investment Banking at Morgan Stanley and as managing director at Goldman Sachs before that. He took on his current role managing sponsor relationships for Macquarie in 2017. He's here to talk to us about the outlook for private equity deal-making in 2024, the challenges that the firms have been navigating, and the pockets of opportunities they're chasing. Tom, thanks so much for being here. Happy New Year and good morning. I'm excited for our conversation. Likewise. So let's start with talking a little bit about your career path leading up to Macquarie and what your role now entails. Sure. And thank you for that. 27 years of investment banking coming up this summer, my first 11 years at Goldman, then nine years at Morgan Stanley, and now almost seven years at Macquarie, as you outlined. I got a random request to go into financial sponsor coverage in 2003. So over two decades ago now, little did I know what lay ahead, but it's been a really exciting, challenging, and frankly, fun place to work and spend my investment banking career. The industry has changed in so many ways, but it's grown tremendously. And as a banker, you want to be part of something that's growing. So it's been a really great ride. It's a global role. And if you think about how this industry has involved private equity, financial sponsors, alternative asset managers, our biggest clients, the Blackstones, the Apollos, the Carlisles, the KKRs of the world, they are true global organizations. And when you look at a global organization like Macquarie Group, which offers so many different products and services, we'll touch any of those private equity firms that I just mentioned in dozens of different areas. Can you talk a little bit about that, about the different kind of products that Macquarie Capital offers? Sure. From a Macquarie Capital standpoint, we are a traditional investment bank. So we offer the traditional investment banking services across advisory, debt capital markets, equity capital markets. But what makes Macquarie Capital differentiated is that we're a merchant bank at heart. So this is both an investment bank and a merchant bank. We invest off of our own balance sheet at Macquarie Capital. So as I like to say, we use our capital to help our clients achieve their objectives. And that could range on one side of the balance sheet to private credit, where we have a $12 billion book, it's US dollars globally, to the other side of private equity, where we can invest for our own benefit or alongside our clients. Anything in the middle as well. So when you think about structured transactions or preferred transactions, those are things that we engage in as well. That's really interesting. So obviously, you have a really great window into what private equity deal making has been like. And 2023 was not that great, to say the least. What are your expectations going into 2024, especially for investments and exits for sponsors? 2023 was difficult. And in fact, if you look at it, it's really been six quarters of subdued activity. So I I would take us back to the third quarter of 2022 through the fourth quarter of 2023. M&A last year for private equity was down over 35%. So a difficult operating environment. We often refer to it as subdued market environment. But I am incredibly optimistic about what we're going to see in 2024. I do expect that we're going to hit a tipping point. And really for technical reasons, private equity as business, they are not storers of capital, they're recyclers of capital. And you need to raise your fund, you need to invest your fund, 
You need to exit your portfolio companies and you need to return that capital to your limited partners and start the cycle all over again. You can manage for this four to six quarter period to tell your LPs that you're being cautious or judicious in a very difficult market, that you're not just going to deploy capital for the sake of deploying capital, but at some point the system breaks down and we seem to be reaching that point where people don't just want to transact because people all want to transact, but people are going to need to transact. And we're starting to see some signs of that. Private equity firms aren't going to be able to say, we have to get that 2021 price or that 2020 price. They're going to need to accept a little bit of a reduction in valuation in order to get those gears going again. And in terms of the financing side of things, that has been the biggest challenge. What are you seeing in terms of banks and where they stand right now? Are they more willing to finance deals than they were in 2023? Will they be willing to put on more debt? What do you think that's going to look like? It's a good question. And it's interesting because at the beginning of the dislocation, if you go back to earlier in 2023, you could argue that the reason transactions weren't happening was because the financing markets had backed up. The reality today is the financing markets are actually quite strong. and when you look at the financing markets, that's both the syndicated financing market as well as the private credit financing market, often referred to as the direct lending market. In fact, the markets are very competitive. Uh, and what we're seeing is that spreads are coming down given the amount of competition to deploy capital. Base rates have gone up, of course, and we've all very keenly focused on where interest rates are. But the spreads have come down. Look at private credit, which, as I mentioned, we're actively involved in. There's by some estimates at the end of last year, $400 billion of dry powder in private credit. We've got this amount of assets out there and not enough deals out there. It drives pricing down. So people are really eager to put that capital to work. And because that, because of the competition, we're seeing the spreads tighten. Similarly, on the syndicated side, speaking from Macquarie, our balance sheet is extremely clean and capable. And so we really want to deploy capital and we're going to be aggressive in order to do that. But that's not just the story of Macquarie. It's the story of a lot of other banks as well. This isn't 2008, the global financial crisis where the banks were challenged. We've got clean balance sheets now. We've got great capital buffers and people want to deploy capital. You put that lending side against what some people estimate is $2 trillion of dry powder on the equity side, and you really got the capacity to do transactions. Absolutely. I do want to ask a little bit of private credit because that's something no one can stop talking about. They also took a slightly cautionary stand from my understanding last year where in terms of their whole sizes or the kinds of terms that they were willing to give, they weren't as open to make as many concessions as before. I'm just wondering if you think any of those changes are going to stick or if things are going to kind of go back to being more easy as they were at the top of the cycle? Yeah, things are definitely easier now. But you're spot on with what you mentioned in 2023. And I referenced it before. There was a real dislocation across all the financing markets. And what you saw with private credit, the largest private credit provider, some of whom were writing checks up to a billion dollars, started to pull back and cut down the size that they would commit to, as well as how aggressive the terms were along with the quantum of debt. We've seen that quickly reverse itself out for the reasons that I mentioned. Private credit is very interesting as a whole. I like to say we're watching a secular change driven by cyclical tailwinds as it relates to the private credit market versus the syndicated market. We do expect the secular change to continue, but 
syndicated market's not going away either. And when the dust settles, we think there's going to be a balance between those two markets for the foreseeable future. And the private equity firms will use those two different models to compete to get the best financing terms. And ultimately, over time, I expect to see some blending of those two markets. And valuation gaps, that was the big term thrown around for as long as I can remember. Has there been any sort of consensus between buyers and sellers in terms of where valuations stand? I'm sure it's different for different sectors, but generally speaking, do you anticipate them to come down, be a sort of reset, anything like that in 2024? I do think we're going to see the beginning of what we like to refer to as the valuation reconciliation. And that's always what pauses the market. And if you look historically, when we've had market dislocations, it's taken some period of time for the two sides to come together. And that seems to have ranged anywhere from two to eight quarters. As we talked about, we're deep into this, probably the seventh quarter. And we expect a slow return to normalized activity over 2024, driven by some reduction in valuation. I don't think it's become an absolute buyer's market. And that's just because of supply-demand imbalance that we mentioned. You've got all this dry powder, both the equity and the debt side, chasing very few opportunities. So we don't expect prices to plummet. We do expect those to come down because people do need to transact, as we discussed, and not going to be able to wait to maximize valuation. So probably not meeting in the middle, but it's become a little bit more of a buyer's market than we see historically. And that's going to help facilitate getting transactions done. But just say anecdotally, we had a client that went out to the market a year or so ago, wanted a certain valuation in order to trade. They didn't get that valuation. We pulled the transaction. They said, let's go back into market again. We went ahead and did that. Valuation actually came back a bit lower the second time around. And they said, you know what? We're going to trade. They needed to trade. They needed to return capital. They need to raise that next fund. We're going to start seeing more and more of that in 2024. And that's what I'm speaking about when I say that people need to transact. So is it fair to say that a lot of the deals that we'll end up seeing in 2024 are actually going to be people restarting the sale processes that they paused maybe early 23, late 22? I don't know what that backlog looks like, but how much of it is going to be new versus old deals that are coming back to market? It's going to be a combination, but do expect that anything that came to market and was pulled in the last 18 or so months is likely to come back to market as we see market conditions improve across the board, which we're starting to see already. There will be new transactions as well. I also think an interesting dynamic about this market, and we talk about history repeating itself, this feels a little bit different in that there are portfolio companies that are a little bit more challenged. So I think we're going to see different types of transactions, not just the plain vanilla clean transactions, but some recapitalizations as well, equity recapitalizations. That brings me to my next question about the strategies that PE has been using to exit the portfolio companies that have held for a while now, some of it being like secondary stake sales and recaps. So you're saying we're going to see a continuation of those kinds of transactions. 2023 was a market where creativity was rewarded. It was more challenging to get capital deployed. We saw public privates where the market permitted itself. We saw portfolio company add-ons. We saw minority transactions. We saw continuation vehicles, secondary transactions, GP-led secondaries. Those were the core ways that people capital worked in 2023 when you didn't have a normalized market to work with. So we do think those will continue in 2024. But we also see, as I mentioned, a return to more normalized transactions. I was speaking to a managing partner 
a private equity firm last week to kick the year off. And he said, all those other creative things, they're great. And it was good to you know keep things moving as best as we can, but really need the traditional deals to come back for the market to return in order for us to work at the pace that we need to to deploy capital and get the system back going. Definitely. I think a lot of what I wrote about last year was also private equity funds deploying capital into their existing portfolio via add-ons. And that was like the big theme. The other thing was funds were also willing to go down market, as you called it, to invest in companies that are a little bit lower than their typical size ranges. Again, is that going to continue? And how does that impact the competition in middle market? It will definitely increase the competition in middle markets. Probably not good news for the middle market funds. See private equity funds that have gotten larger want to return to their roots. And they do that by creating small cap funds or growth funds. They may be broad funds from an industry perspective, or they may focus on specific industries, but not unusual for funds to now have multi-strategies and multi-sizes. When there's a lack of deals, one of the things that happens, as you suggested, is that people look to different size transactions in order to deploy capital. So a lot of the larger funds we're playing now in the middle or small market makes it a little bit tougher if you're a smaller middle market private equity player that you now have to deal with not just your regular competition, and there's thousands of private equity funds out there, but now you've got to deal with the bigger players in the market as well as they're trying to get creative and find different ways to deploy capital. Their tolerance for doing smaller deals has definitely gone up. A lot of funds want to concentrate on the larger checks. They don't want to end up with 30 portfolio companies in a single fund. But they'll do what they need to do in order to deploy capital in a tough market. Hopefully, for the sake of the smaller and mid-sized private equity funds, we'll see the large cap private equity funds move back upstream in 2024. For sure. And I think that going off of what you mentioned in terms of some industries where things might be a little bit more active, I'm just curious to know what sectors you've been seeing more private equity interest in, services being one of them. As you mentioned, Macquarie has done deals in HVACs. I'm curious to know what those sectors could be. There's the traditional sectors that people point to as you look forward, and they're usually technology and healthcare. Sectors where there's going to be a lot of change, and there's a regulatory overlay to both those sectors. And we think about some of the regulatory things that are going on in the technology space, a lot of the antitrust conversations and the fact that people may need to invest assets going forward. And we expect private equity to play a major role in that area. Healthcare and technology, I think, are the obvious sectors. And if you say we can only invest in two sectors for the rest of our careers, those would probably be the two sectors you jump to. But I think there's a lot of other interesting sectors as well. For us at Macquarie, very focused on the services sector broadly. And that goes from, you mentioned HVAC, more of the industrial type services across to the technology type services. We think it's interesting categories. We see more and more private equity capital attracted to those areas, and we expect that to continue. The healthcare services as part of that. For sure. Most of what I've been writing and spending my time on has been services. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I also want to talk about how due diligence has changed over the past year. I imagine investors are being stricter in terms of the metrics that they're evaluating and any sort of concessions that they used to make that they're no longer willing to make. I'm just curious to know what details you can give in terms of those kinds of metrics that they're looking at. Absolutely. This is definitely a market where investors can afford to be more patient. 
and what we saw in the height of the market, if you look at the COVID break in March of 20 until March of 22, when the market was operating at a hyper pace, things were very competitive. And one of the things that private equity can use as competitive advantage was speed. But the challenge of doing transactions quickly is it doesn't give you as much time to be thoughtful and go as deep in the diligence process. And I'm not suggesting that all transactions in that vintage weren't well managed, but clearly as a competitive dynamic, if you could say to somebody in an auction, you know, we can get done faster, that's always going to be attractive to the sell side. It wasn't just that time period I mentioned where we've seen that. You can go back to 2006 and 2007 and see the same thing. That's really off the table now. And it's probably a very good thing for the market. It's a very good thing for the investors, both the general partners and the limited partners. The people have the opportunity to be a little bit more thoughtful now, a little bit more discerning. And that's the way the cycle restarts again. And then is this the bit where sort of ad backs is a word that has come up before in conversations with investors and they're paying attention to that? Would that be those kind of things that they're looking at more closely? It's diligence broadly, but it ultimately manifests itself in that pro forma as adjusted EBITDA number that we can smile about. People are going to take a harder look at those numbers. They're going to challenge some of the adjustments a bit more aggressively and expect that that will happen. Again, that's part of the cycle. And, you know, at this point, people will be more conservative. We'll slowly move back to, you know, the middle of the pendulum and then back up into the upswing. Absolutely. What about the fundraising environment? Obviously, that was also challenged. Do you think it'll be easier this year than last year? Are you waiting? to like 2025 for PE funds to really be able to raise capital as they were before. Just to give you perspective, and started having these conversations about a year and a half ago where the head of a major private equity fund mentioned to me, fundraising is getting difficult. And I thought to myself, if they're saying that, it must really be challenged. This is a flagship name and a leader in the space. It's only gotten worse from then and now is often described to me as the worst fundraising environment that we've ever seen. And that takes us really all the way back to beginning of private equity. It's going to get better, but it's going to slowly get better. And what you're going to see is differentiation. And we haven't really seen differentiation in quite some period of time. And it's differentiation, rightfully so, based on performance. And so while many funds have publicly failed to get to their targets for fundraising, there are other funds out there that have done exceptionally well in this fundraising market. TA, GenStar, CBC goes out and raises the largest private equity fund ever at 25 billion euros, right in the middle of this market that's described as the worst private equity fundraising market ever. So we're definitely seeing winners and losers. I expect that to continue across the board and certainly expect that to continue in the fundraising market in 2024. It will be challenging. LPs are not going to commit new capital until that capital is returned. So it's all in this tangled web. But it will start to get better. Expect that, as you suggested, won't really see a more normalized fundraising market until 2025. Better, but not quite where it needs to be yet. And do you imagine this sort of differentiation, as you're talking about, over the next several years is going to lead to greater consolidation in the private equity market as well? People have been talking about private equity consolidation for many years now. You often hear, Bankers say it's hard to kill a private equity fund. And in fact, that is true. And you can look back at the history of some of the private equity funds. This feels a little bit different and a little bit more permanent. 
We talked about the amount of dry powder that's out there, the number of firms that are out there, and add that together with a differentiated, difficult fundraising market. And it does feel like the seeds have been sown for consolidation in the industry at a pace that we haven't seen historically. Would that apply to private credit as well? I know we've talked about this before and you said there would be different reasons for that, but I'm curious to know about what consolidation and private credit would look like. Consolidation tends to happen in more mature industries. And for better or worse, private equity has become a mature industry. And we talk about the institutionalization of private equity. And so this is not a surprise outcome for private equity that you'd see consolidation in a down market. It's acting like most industries do. Private credit is a much younger market and really grew out of the global financial crisis as banks pulled back from some of the areas that they were focused on lending in. And so I don't expect that we'll see as much consolidation of private credit as we might see in private equity, but we'll see more people coming into private credit. They may start that strategy themselves, but I think we will see merger activity when some funds that don't, funds or banks that don't have a private credit strategy acquire those that do. And that's just because of the need to be in that space as that space becomes more relevant from an overall lending standpoint. So yes, merger activity, but for different reasons than we would have seen on the private equity side. For sure. And I did want to ask about the regulatory landscape and if there's anything in there that you're keeping an eye on for potential implications for private equity, whether that's roll-ups or something else altogether. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Ultimately, there will be more regulation of private equity, more disclosure, more protection for investors. And one of the things that's going to drive that is the focus on raising retail capital, which has been bubbling up in the background for a long time now. Blackstone made some pretty public announcements this week about their most recent retail-based private equity fund. But there are groups of private equity funds very focused on raising retail capital alongside institutional capital. And they really view this market as shifting over time from institutional to Retail. I think with that will come more of a regulatory focus on private equity funds and making sure that there's better disclosure. And it's been something that's been talked about for some period of time. It's never quite manifested itself in the way that one might have thought it would. But I think this time we will start to see a little bit more of a focus from a regulatory standpoint. It'll, and again, this goes back to the maturation of the industry. You would expect the same. And so it would be a little bit tougher to operate. It'll come with a little bit more cost. But ultimately, it's probably a good thing for the industry and certainly for investors. Absolutely. might make things difficult for you, but it'll probably make things easy for me in terms of reporting to get all those disclosures in my hands for sure. What have I missed out on asking that you think is an interesting theme for 2024 for private equity that we should touch upon? I think we've covered all the, all the core subjects. There is one thing, and I was alluding to it before, we didn't go into it in any detail. What I think will be a little bit different about this market in 2024 is two different pillars, which is the traditional private equity transactions that we, we talked about and the return of those to the marketplace. But there are a series of companies, which I'll refer to broadly as good companies with bad capital structures. And there's private equity funds that are looking for those types of investments. These are companies that need to be recapitalized because they're frankly just over levered. They're not bad companies. And there are a group of funds out there, I won't mention names specifically, that are interested in these types of transactions. What I'm hearing from them is that they're seeing more opportunities now than they have in many years. 
recapitalize companies with structured investments, equity-like investments with some credit characteristics that protect the downside for those investors. It's a win-win for the private equity companies that want to have their portfolio companies live to fight another day, but don't want to put more equity into those portfolio companies. So they get a third party, often other private equity funds to do that. I think we're going to have these two parallel markets this year, which is a little bit interesting and not something we always see. So not a clear, great market, not a clear restructuring market, but a parallel track of these two different types of investments for 2024, which bodes well for the private equity community. More things to do and more places for capital to work. Absolutely. And is this is it tied by the size of the businesses at all? Like, are you seeing that interest more in the middle market or is regardless of size, even for large cap businesses? It's size agnostic. Got it. Well, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. This was a great conversation. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. This is Nikita Satiraju, senior reporter at The Deal. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Buyouts. <laughs>